Welcome to the Too Much to Say podcast, where we have too much to say. Episode 22, The Moral Morass of American Football. Or, What Outrage Would It Take? We got a good one for you today. We are live on twitch.tv slash 2M2S. For all of our podcast listeners, we want to say welcome, welcome. We've got, like I said, we've got a good one today. We're going to be talking about what outrage would it take for you to give up something you care about. We've kind of done this in the past, a little bit different, episode, hold on, now i got to bring it up. It was, what would it take, and it was episode 12, but that was to change your mind. This is to give up something you love. And we'll define that a little bit more later. But that's a general idea. And as you can tell, part of what we're going to talk about is the NFL. What a perfect way to ring in the new NFL season than to talk about how NFL football makes us uncomfortable. And I do want you to understand where I'm coming from on this one because I am a huge NFL fan. So there's some serious cognitive dissonance. Maybe we can work through it together today. But first, let's go ahead and hop into the weekly random. And it is a little bit random today, this week. We got a couple of different things going on. The first story to come out is the major prison strike. A major prison strike str uh, spreads across the U.S. and Canada. As inmates refuse food. First well, reported on here by The Guardian. So basically, recently there was a... There were multiple deaths after a riot. Where I think it was seven inmates were killed. Oh, excuse... Oh. No. Yeah, seven inmates were killed. And they are now... Inmates across the country, in both U.S. and Canada, across the nation, across the continent, are protesting for, you know, basically better, you know, parole, better food, better treatment. And and I, I don't know if you, you probably listened to, you might have heard me talk about prison and kind of prison reform. And how we should move away. Definitely check out the How to Fix America podcast. But I'll go briefly into here. And how we need to reform and fix our prison system. Because as it stands. We basically treat criminals like animals. These people we want to quote unquote reform. Because the purpose of prison should be to have someone who's not going to recommit the act. The person we want to come out of prison fixed, quote-unquote, we treat them like an animal. If you treat someone like an animal for five years, what are they going to do when they get out of prison after five years? Are they going to be a contributing member of society, or are they going to be the animal that you have treated them like? Generally speaking, it's going to be that second. And so, obviously, while I do not 
support committing crime, I do support human rights. So, very interesting to see that coming out of the prison system from the actual prisoners as where it should be coming from society and us wanting to help them become better. That should be the goal of a society is to improve its participants. Even if you don't consider them citizens because they're felony, they're felons and they can't vote. I want them back to contribute to society. I want our society as a whole back to so we can work together to improve. That, that just makes sense. But, I don't know, sometimes sense is too much, I guess. Anyway, moving on. So, over the past few years, plastic straws have gotten a really bad rap for being basically being the worst contaminant in the ocean. But a new study has come out to say that it's actually, actually cigarette butts. Now, to be honest, this is all sort of irrelevant. Not to say that we shouldn't focus on straws and cigarette butts, as we obviously should, but we should be focusing on all of it. Because <laughs> our job should be to clean up the ocean, which, by the way, there is a fantastic, I tweeted it, let me go find it now, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is at RealSamShannon, but I tweeted it just, it wasn't that long ago, there it is, the ocean cleanup, basically the largest attempt to clean up the ocean the, is beginning in 10 days and 18 hours. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really, really fucking excited. Just, I don't know how well it's going to work. I don't even know if it is going to work. The science behind it seems to be good. But, I, I, a, I didn't know about this until, I guess, today... But just the fact that, like, we might actually be doing something to help the environment is just phenomenal. I can't wait till, on a different note, I can't wait till carbon capture becomes a greater thing and we have great uh, greater capacity because clearly people are so fucking selfish that they can't get off of burning oil. Like, nobody wants to sacrifice. Nobody wants to give up something in order to better the world. They're willing to, like, spend money. And I, they're willing to talk about it. They're willing to, like, do menial things that don't inconvenience them. Or, you know, spend a little money here and there, but nobody's willing to truly sacrifice. No, I mean... Instead of sacrificing to embrace the future, we see people, like, double down to keep the past. We've seen it with coal. We've seen it with fossil fuels. I mean, it's basically, the that's the entire theme of the Trump presidency, is doubling down to keep the past. 
to keep racism around, to keep sexism around, to keep coal uh, fuel around. That's kind of the theme. That's what everybody who voted for him voted for. Make America great again. They were talking about let's regress. Let's go backwards. Again, doubling down to keep the past rather than to embrace the future. The fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, the fear of the new. We have people doubling down to, to, to run away from it. Just, just full-on sprint away instead of embracing it and trying to find the next thing and to be part of the solution rather part of them rather part of the problem anyway very excited very excited says we obviously couldn't do anything to keep the garbage out of the ocean so maybe we can do something to keep, get it out get it out of the ocean so that's I, I can't even express to you I didn't know about this otherwise I would have donated to its campaign um, yeah. Alright. On a more somber note, um, Arizona Senator, longtime Arizona Senator, John McCain, has passed away. And this is like, this is just crazy to me. Because basically, on October 24th, 2018, John McCain announced that he was going to end his treatment. And I remember thinking to myself, and there's, I was reading this Washington Post article, basically saying, talking about it, and how, oh, well, you know, you know, people generally live for a couple weeks afterwards, maybe even up to six to eight months. And it, it was the very next day that he passed away. Now, now, John McCain and I have not always seen eye to eye. But as he has requested, it can definitely be said of him that he served his country. As a POW in the Vietnam War, as a senator. And though I feel like he could have done more to resist Trump, he was among the Republicans, at least someone who fought against him from time to time, which is more than we can say for a lot of the Republican senators and congressmen. So I do respect that. And he was at least a somewhat moderate voice, whereas in a, in a day and age of just extremism, tribalism. And he made he pissed Trump off, so that's a positive in my book. That's a that's a huge positive in my book. Anybody who can piss Trump off, you know, you're at least a little bit up behind <laughs> you go high a little higher in my because basically what happened, um, and it's sort of a a pity to it is sad, and this is, I guess, something I tweeted as well, is that it's sad that John McCain has to die with a president who disrespects him so much. A president of his own party who disrespects him 
so much that called him weak for being a POW. Mr. Bone Spurs, who couldn't go, you know, had to find deferment from the draft three times, was insulting the prisoner of war because it, he was weak for getting captured. The fact that anyone in the military voted for Donald Trump is appalling, and they should all be ashamed of themselves. You voted for someone who actively insults one of your own for doing his job to the best of his ability. And furthermore, a man who didn't run from being a prisoner of war because he had the opportunity to escape, but he said, no, we leave as we came in. And so he suffered longer. And Trump has the gall to come out and bring him down. And then when the man dies, he can't even find his own dignity to comment. His answer was no comment. And then he, he refused for the most of the day yesterday to put that flag at half mass for a senator who just passed away. Regardless of how you, unless, unless it was you, Donald Trump, every other member of the Congress, regardless of how I feel about their opinions, I would lower the half-mast. If you passed away, I would not. Because you do not deserve the respect of this country, let alone the flag that you falsely support. Mm. All right, anyway, let's move on to the Reddit shower. <laughs> on a lighter note, let's move on to the Reddit shower thought of the week. This one comes from user Billion Tons Hyperbole, and he says, A guy named Weird Al has a 40 plus year long career with no allegations of sexual impropriety. Just one of life's little little nuggets. Weird Al is a national treasure, by the way. I can't say I always enjoy his music, but I, I can definitely respect what the man does. And for being a good dude. So, anyway. Alright. It is time for the main event. Whenever I can find the main event, it's going to be time, and I have found it. There it is. Time for the main event. So, the, morale, the moral morass of American football or what outrage would it take? So, I want to break this down kind of into three frames of reference. Reference one would be a time when people got outraged enough to reject the institu an institution to which they all were a part. A time when... He where a group of humans 
So that's number one. Number two is going to be a time when a group of humans, a portion of a group of, of humans, rejected an institution to which they were all a part. And number three, a time when a group of humans did not, or for the most part, did not, get outraged enough to reject an institution to which they were all a part. So three different groups at three different eras. But let's go. Number one, it would be the French people during the French Revolution. To give it a little context, France was one of the richest countries in Europe and the world in this day and age, at this, at this time, in the 1750s. And yet, there was social inequality, where there were basically the first, second, and third estate, the first estate being the clergy, second estate being the nobility, and the third estate being everyone else. Where there were 20, I believe 28 million French citizens, 21 million of them were in our agriculture. But there was obviously vast social inequality. And at the same time, there was a thought revolution. There were many philosophers like Voltaire that were basically bringing this idea of equality to the forefront through writing, through which kind of spread out throughout France. And at the same time, or, you know, at this time when the, the revolution was starting to stir, there was also the American Revolution with Thomas Jefferson, two of the leaders of the American Revolution, actively being in France trying to recruit French aid for the American Revolution. and But also hobnobbing with the different philosophers. And subsequently, there were soldiers fighting in America for American Revolution. Basically, getting this idea when they came back of, you know, the, of, of a revolution, of, of, of change. And then there was also the, an enormous debt that the French crown had accrued through war and extravagance, which led to increased taxes and multiple failed, multiple failed economic policies and subsequent hunger when they tried to deregulate the, the wheat market, essentially. Now, social equality, inequality had lasted for hundreds of years. How long was the French market? So, the French monarchy dates all dated all the way back until 509 AD. 
with this latest, with the final um, monarchy being the House of Bourbon, being from 1589 until 1792. So that final house lasted 203 years, but the entire monarchy kind of lasted, and the, there were stuff afterwards with with the Bonapartes and that sort of thing. But the the entire reign was essentially 12, almost 1,300 years. And mind you, circumstance changed, changed, but what it took finally to push them over was all of, like, they had the social inequality where you... You were lesser. There were clergy, number one, nobility, number two, and then peasants. Everyone was a peasant with no rights. Not no no rights, but assent, I mean, no say in the government. They, and they paid taxes while the nobility and the clergy didn't pay taxes. And yet, for 1,700 years, I don't want to say that incorrectly now, for 1,200 years, I don't know why I said 17, almost 1,300 years, the French people did almost nothing. It wasn't until the combination of a thought revolution, another revolution happening externally, a massive amount of increase in taxes and hunger that the French people were finally pushed over the edge to revolt against their government. So that's the French Revolution. That is an example of when humans were actually pushed over the edge and revolted against the institution to which they'd all have been a part. I mean, obviously it was only for their lifetime, so not 1,300 years, but entire lifetimes people were part of that monarchy. And it, it took all of these things. It took... I basically took hunger to push them over the edge with the first with the first uh, revolt with the the flower war F L O U R not F L O W E R All right so that's number 1 that's the, the French Revolution is our is an, is a great example of, of if humans finally pushing against the status quo against the institution so number two, let's look at the Catholic Church. This is an example of a portion of humans. So, and given it probably wasn't all of France, obviously the nobility, but all, or maybe not even all the peasants, because as we know with the American Revolution, it wasn't all of the um, all Americans who actually pushed against the British crown. So I'm sure it was similar with the French Revolution War. It wasn't everybody, but it was enough to, you know, flip the government and it, the government would be no more. So the better part for the French Revolution. And now the Catholic Church. An example of a time when a portion of of a group of people rejected 
the, the an institution. And this is, a, I guess, this could have been one of my weekly randoms, but this is an example because this the what's plaguing the Catholic Church has not gone away. So you've probably heard of the sexual. You know, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a fucking joke. Now people joke about being altar boys because of the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. Because the of uh, the amount of children that have been abused by Catholic priests and mainly the priests, but I believe there have also been times with the nuns. And people make jokes about it. It's so prevalent and so ubiquitous. And so these sexual assault cases began in the 1980s. They started to kind of bubble up. They're isolated cases, mainly here in in America. So let's pull up. Here's our attendance chart. But kind of the big one, the one that kind of, and so they would, basically the Catholic Church painted those individual cases as isolated incidents. Oh, this person, this, this priest was bad. This one priest was bad. And then Spotlight happened. This is something we've already talked about on the podcast. But Spotlight happened in 2002. And so on our chart here, in the middle, we have 1986, 1983 to 1986. Now Spotlight was a massive uncovering. It was a massive expose by the Boston Globe of the Catholic Diocese and the the Boston Diocese of the Catholic Church. Sorry. And it happened in 2002. So, but let's, let's start here at in 1980, in the 1980s, because this is a good example of kind of thresholds changing, where we had mm, somewhat quantifiable outrage because there were, you know, priests being exposed for their sexual corruption. And... Then later, it being on a much massive, much more massive level. I mean, if you look up sexual abuse in the Catholic Church by cases, you'll see. I mean, it is it's crazy. Anyway, I recommend it. But so in the 1980s, and first off, let's let's also frame this. We don't even know how many people actually rejected the Catholic Church because of sexual abuse. We do know that. Because if you look at this, in 1965, we had Catholic Church attendance by age. So our age groups are 60 plus, 50 to 59, 40 to 49, 20 to 29, or 30 to 39, 20 to 29. In 1955, in a, by Gallup poll, it went 73% of 21 to 39 were all active. And then... 74% of, oh, sorry, that was 60 to 60 plus. 60 to 60 plus and 21 to 29. And then 74% of 30 to 39, 76% of 40 to 49, and 77% of people 50 to 59. 
1955. And it actually, those numbers dropped prior to the church being exposed to much, much lower numbers. So for the 21 to 29 group, dropped from 73 to 37. The 30 to 39 group dropped from 74% to 49%. The 40 to 49% dropped from 76% to 49%. The 50 to 59 dropped from 77% to, 55, 50, to 57%. And the 60 plus percent, sorry, 60 plus group dropped from 74%, 73% to 64%. So that is a massive drop over 30 years. Just massive drop. And this is without any expose regarding sexual abuse within the Catholic Church. This is prior to Spotlight. So, or even its lesser version of Spotlight, where individual priests were being exposed. But in 1980, thing, things kind of, like, took a little bit of, it's kind of like a level of everything had kind of gone back up in the 80s, and then they just died back down again. But finally, in 2014-2017, numbers have dropped again. After the abuse, and we are now at 25% for 21 to 29, 30 to 30, oh, sorry, 43% for those 30 to 39. It's actually gone up. Oh, I guess it went down, then back up. The 40 to 49 is down to 40%. The 50 to 59 is 31% and the 60 plus is at 49%. But here's the thing. Here's the kicker. The sexual abuse revelations have not stopped. That's 49% of people, 60 plus, who have not rejected the Catholic Church despite the fact that over the last let's say, I guess we're at, we're at 16 years, but if we went back to the 80s, over the last 30, almost 40 years, sexual abuse re um, revelations have come out against the church repeatedly. And, and since 2002, it's only gone up. And yet, from 2002, the number of people in the 30 to 39 group have actually, the percentages have gone up in church attendance. There is, I mean, there have been priests disbarred. There have been priests convicted. There are, I mean, tons of witnesses, tons of victims. I mean, firsthand accounts. And people still, I mean, honestly, should it not be 0%? Shouldn't these all be 0%? How much evil does one group have to do People always say that actions speak louder than words. So the actions of the Catholic Church have been to abuse children. And their words have been to not abuse children. 
And yet it seems like people believe the Catholic Church when they say that abusing children is wrong. And I get it, the Catholic Church has put band-aids on the individual instances, getting rid of the individual priests, but it was just this year, in 2018, that the Pope came out and accused victims in, Ch in Chile of making up false allegations against the church. Now this breaks my heart because I actually like this Pope on many of the different things that he talked and and I, I that he many of the different platforms that he's come out for. And I think that we need more good religious leaders. But the man came out and said and accused victims in Chile in Chile of making up accusations. Sixteen years after Spotlight. And yet Millions of people still support the church, attend church regularly. What outrage would it take for someone to reject the Catholic Church? Apparently, for many people, this is not enough outrage. All right. But some people did leave the church. So that's, so number one, we had the French Revolution with the majority, or at least a large, sizable portion of the people rejecting the French, the French monarchy because of the social inequality. Number two, we had the Catholic Church with not very many people, not with some people rejecting the Catholic Church. How's it going, Squid? And now, number three, we have American football. And this isn't only NFL, but we're also going to take a look at the NCAA as well. Because it's not that it's a unique phenomenon to American football for there to be corruption. But the size of corruption in general is is rather sizable within American football in both the quote unquote amateurs and professionals. Let's take a look at it. So sports is supposed to be by definition an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. I, but I think it goes further than that. I think especially, at least in American culture, which is the one I'm a part of, that people expect their children to learn and grow within sports. They learn how to compete. They learn leadership. They learn that hard work equals results. There's kind of a moral 
high ground that we view as sports because as Americans, we're known for being obese. Well, sports helped solve that. You know, it, it's, it's part of American culture. You know, America's pastime has been baseball for, well, that's the name of, has been the moniker for baseball for 50 years. Or however long that phrase has been around, but it's been as long as I can remember. And yet, the NCAA and the NFL have behaved very similarly to the Catholic Church and the French monarchy. Let's just take a look at it. So, number one, let's look at Jerry Sandusky. You might have heard of him. Jerry Sandusky was actually guilty of similar things to the Catholic Church, to the, to the priests in the Catholic Church. He was found guilty in 2012 of 45 counts of child sexual abuse. And he was sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison. Now, I'm actually not here to... attack organizations for the actions of a single individual. I think you can find bad apples in every organization around the world, regardless of belief, credo, or or, or purpose. However, Jerry Sandusky was not, though he was the only one found guilty, it was a massive cover-up by Penn State. According to a report by Penn Live's Charles Thompson in 2016, head coach Joe Paterno was told about the Jerry Sandusky's abuse as early as 1976. He was not convicted in two th until 2012. That would be 36, no, 46 years that he was allowed to abuse children because Joe Paterno wouldn't stand up against, wouldn't turn him in to protect Penn State, to protect his friend. That's just number one. That's, that's our first, that's one massive institutional crisis that the NCAA, NCAA had. Number two, or I'm not even going to cover all of them here, but number two I want to cover is the sexual assault at Baylor that began to be prosecuted in 2012, but basically breaks down to at least 31 Baylor players were alleged to have been involved in at least 52 rapes from 2011 to 2014. Now, in both cases, the NCAA has come down hard on these schools. That's what they do every time something happens that's negative. They spank the hand, they slap the hand of the offender. And yet, we as a, as a society keep on supporting them. 
Now, I'm not going to say that this next one is necessarily as large or as grievous as these other two, because the other two are obviously violent crimes. But this one's kind of speaks more to the institution of the NCAA, which is the fact that in 2017, the NCAA made $1.1 billion. Of that $1.1 billion, zero was given to NCAA athletes as form of salary. Now I understand that the NCAA, you know, that colleges give tuition and board and, 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 and they keep trying to give more little things as opposed to paying their players. I think it is reprehensible and greedy of the NCAA. And it is unfair to classify NCAA athletics as amateur simply to stay in power is not okay. You have coaches making millions of dollars. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they aren't talented or shouldn't make a lot of money and arguably should make more money than the individual players. But the players are getting nothing. And this is in a game like football where your career in the NFL is like four, like on average four years. And that's averaged out with people who have 20-year careers. But you get people who just wash out or who never even make it to the NFL. And yet these colleges make millions. 1,100 millions. Again, I've only briefly scratched on the NCAA. If you'd like to learn more about their scandals, I recommend it. But support for the NCAA, un until last, I guess the last three years, has not waned. I guess it was last year that the NCAA was showing, showing some sort of weakness. All right. So that's the amateur piece. That, that is, that's our schools. These are the academic institutions that are supposed to be these moral high grounds where we go to school and learn to become, you know, these impressive adults, these, these functioning adults, you know, professionals and, you know, go on to post-secondary and basically be the foundation of the country going forward. And these schools are supposed to teach our student, our, you know, the youth of the country to do this. And yet... Football is too important to them. And it's too important to the American public for sexual abuse and, quite frankly, an amateur charade to actually bring the NCAA down. All right, so let's talk about the NFL. This is the other, this is our, prof the, the quote-unquote professional, I guess this is professional, but... This is the professional half, the other professional half of, of American football. 
And the ironic thing, if you go, if you actually do look at scandals within the NCAA, most of the scandals that you're going to find are scandals where teams have cheated by giving their players money. And that was a huge deal to the NCAA. Because as big of a deal as sexual assault, because it actually threatened the NCAA and their business model. Anyway, so the NFL. I'm going to touch on two major ones. Let's go on the lighter one first, and we'll talk about the the, the other one second. So, I guess it just depends on how you look at it. But the first one I wanted to touch on was what happened in in 2017, or I guess it happened in 2016, and the results uh, were 2017. But that was the national anthem kneeling by the players, the silencing of those players, and the blackballing of Colin Kaepernick, and more recently, Eric Reed. Regardless of how you feel about why they were protesting, the idea that in this day and age that a an organization that has these amazing players decides to silence them on it when they want when they're wanting to speak out in in political protest is scary like they are like especially when you think about what they were actually protesting This, 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 I was, and, and when they came out and they basically said that they were going to ban, give teams ban, you know, the ability to ban people for the, for first offenses this year, it actually, actually did give me a great amount of pause whether or not I was going to support and listen to or watch the NFL this year. But to be honest, this is kind of, small potatoes compared to the other scandal, the other cover-up. Because that's essentially what they were trying to do. It's just hush, 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 hush. Oh, there are there are people, you know, that this this upsets. We need to quiet all the we need to quiet these athletes when the people who were wanting to try to silence who were upset that the athletes were really just making up excuses to silence them, and a lot of it was racially motivated. Anyway, the bigger cover-up that I wanted to talk about was something called CTE, Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. Encephalopathy. Basically... There were, in 2002, it was discovered, CTE was discovered, and its cause was determined to be repeated blows to the head. And CTE is known to cause... Or the symptoms of CTE, 
basically are difficulty thinking, so cognitive impairment, impulsive behavior, depression or apathy, short-term memory loss, difficulty planning and carrying out uh, carrying out tasks, emotional instability, substance abuse, and suicidal thoughts or behavior. And now, while it has not been definitively proven, there has been a lot of a fair amount of I basically athletes who have played football basically committing suicide at both the collegiate level and the professional level. You might have heard of Junior Seau who shot himself in the chest. Basically doctors though proof requires a very long study of you know players without and you know a definitive study there's definitely been correlation shown already a strong strong correlation to the point where doctors are convinced that CTE is caused by repeated head trauma and bruising to the brain and yet so this is in 2002 when this was first determined. But let, I'm going to blow this up all the way across the screen here to show the this is the average Super Bowl viewership from 1967 until the present. So in night and so in 2002 when it was determined that there was the CTE was basically caused by well by head trauma of which Football is a major, you know, perpetrator. There were basically 85 million people who watched the Super Bowl. In 2015, there were 110, scratch that, make that 114 million people who watched the Super Bowl with it steadily climbing until 2015. And in 2015, it has, it has dropped off the last couple of years in 2016, 17, and 18. We know the causes, and, and mind you, football, the NFL has gone to great lengths to cover up the dangers of CTE to the point where they were sued and lost billions of dollars because they covered up and essentially led people to believe that this wasn't an issue. And yet, American viewership hasn't changed. There, from 2002 to 2015, it was basically a steady rise. There was one year that dipped, but the year after that rose more than the other one had dipped. So it was higher than two years before. 
And my question for you, and the whole purpose of this podcast, is what outrage would it take? Not necessarily should it take. But, I, I mean, it's for you to ask yourself that question. What outrage would it take for you to put away football, if you're a football fan, to put away your religion or your Catholicism, if you're a Catholic? And, to, and if you're neither of those things, to think about your own life, to think about the things... I mean, another great example right now is Republicans. What outrage would it take to reject Donald Trump? Now, there have been many who have... who supported him and have since rejected him, so they had a lower threshold. But it is quite apparent that the larger portion of the party doesn't feel that way. I just think that it's important for us to take stock of our own moral compass. Because life, we're... It is important to find our values and our priorities. I'm to the point, and this is very difficult for me because obviously the second podcast that I do every week is about sports. And it puts me in quite the moral conundrum when I want to go and cover the NFL or watch the NFL. As I told you before, I'm a huge fan of the NFL. I've watched the NFL for the last, I don't know, 19 years. And the amazing plays that have occurred. But I can guarantee you this, my son, who is four now, will never play in the NFL, or never play football. There, there's no doubt in my mind there's... I am unequivocal in this now. And I am glad that football was never really my sport. I've had two concussions in my life. And obviously I don't feel completely different, but I do feel after them I felt a little different. Two big two major ones, one playing basketball and I tripped going to the hoop slid and then slammed my head into the concrete wall behind. The other one was while I was working, I slammed my head into concrete. So I slammed my head into concrete twice. And both times I felt dizzy. Both times I recognized that it was a concussion. I'll be honest, today, it's been years. It's been now years since the second concussion, but even longer since the first concussion. I don't feel the same. And that's two concussions. And that's a systematic issue where you have people who are experiencing these concussions and pushing others to get to keep going. Again, what outrage would it take to give up something you love because you know it's wrong?
I'm not really asking you to give up football, to give up your your religion. I'm asking you to look inside yourself and ask that question. Find your threshold. And don't waver on it. Anyway. I've been a serious one. But I think that it's an important one. I think that especially with politics right now. I think a lot of people have basically watched their thresholds go by and ignored them. As I mentioned before, there are veterans supporting Donald Trump. Veterans who have besmirched, you know, oh, Hillary and Benghazi, you know, she didn't do enough to protect those people. And then you have Donald Trump who just absolutely shits on a veteran, calls him weak because he was a POW, whereas Hillary did respect the military. And while she made mistakes, I mean, just where are the, where's your threshold? I mean, every time people want to say, oh, well, I voted... Somebody had to vote Donald Trump into the Republican nomination. It wasn't Democrats. Anyway. Like I said, think about it. And, um... I think if everybody did, we'd be in a much better place in this world. But, that's, that, that's all I have to say about that. That's all I have to say, but uh, I do appreciate you listening if you made it this far. Uh, please follow, like, subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, we'll be back actually in, I guess, in a week and a half. So not next Tuesday, but probably next Saturday. I'm headed to the beach, and I won't be able to... I'm really going to try to do something. We'll see what I can do. We'll try to be back next Tuesday. Uh, I guess you'll, I'll be on... Uh, I'll, I'll post something here on Twitch and Twitter, whether or not I'm going to be able to do one on Tuesday night. Um, Saturday's looking... Not very likely, which is a rather shame. Thanks to the Fortnite week, uh, summer skirmish week eight. But again, I appreciate you. Follow, like, subscribe wherever you're listening. If you're on Twitch, hit that follow button. If you have the Twitch Prime, if you can, if you can hit it, I'd be much appreciated. But if you're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, if you could subscribe, hit us with those five stars on iTunes. Every little bit. Counts. Tell your friends. Um, share your favorite episode. I mean, like I said, there's a bunch of good stuff. Look in the look look in the past. Talking about the cost of truth, value of the truth. You know what would it take? Um, you know how how to fix America parts one through three. Um, we talk about social media all the way back to episode three. We're talking about social media. Oh, episode 13, Tolerance, Intolerance, and the tolerance, uh, the Intolerance of Intolerance. Like I said, a lot of good stuff in the past. Hit us with that subscribe. Tell your friends. Anything you can do would be much appreciated. But you're, you're listening, you know, 
is enough as well. So I appreciate it. You guys have a great week. We'll have Q&A on uh, here on Twitch right afterwards. But thanks so much. Peace.